0: Hey everyone i'm so excited to share our podcast has been nominated in boise weekly's annual best of boise contest and while it's an honor to be nominated i have to admit it would be even more fun to win if we've helped you connect to the city you love go to the link in the show notes to vote for us by may
1: 23rd thanks boise Today on CityCast Boise, lead producer Frankie Barnhill is here to help me dig into this week's news. We chat about a bill criminalizing gender-affirming care for minors, the Moscow murder trial gag order, and why city council okayed two new housing developments. Plus, our picks for the Boise Monopoly board. Just a heads up, there is a mention of suicide in this episode. Friday, February 10th, 2023. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is CityCast Boise. Hi, Frankie. Happy Friday, Emma. Happy Friday. We have a lot to get through. It's been a busy week, uh, news wise, for Boise. Um, Let's get started just right away with the bill criminalizing gender-affirming care for minors that was approved by the Judiciary Committee, 14 to 3 along party lines, that will now go to the House for a vote. Frankie, you and I both watched pretty much the entire testimony earlier this week. And I I uh, don't—what's the professional way to say Show uh, it was a bit <laughs> of a nightmare. It was a bit of a nightmare. It was a hard watch.
0: Yeah, it was. Um, it was messy. They had, you know, they had online testimony. Then they had in-person testimony. There were overflow rooms. So this was in the House Committee, as you said. Now it'll go to the full House for a vote because it was passed. Yeah, we had uh, Vice Chair Heather Scott was presiding over it because the chair of the committee, uh, Representative Bruce Skog of Nampa, this was his bill. Now he wrote it alongside Idaho Family policy center we heard a representative from that organization actually present the bill with him and so you know this was a lobbying group that wants this to be passed and Bruce Scogg agrees and brought this forward Yeah, we heard lots of testimony, but it was kind of interesting to see where that testimony was coming from sometimes, right? Because it wasn't all from Idahoans because we did have this online component. Yeah, that was, I mean, I haven't sat through a
1: ton of these, but that was my takeaway was that there were a ton of out-of-state people testifying. And they made time, you know, they limited the youth testimony. Uh, and also, it felt like local, in Idaho, a testimony was pretty limited and in favor of, like, the Heritage Foundation. Is that normal? Is that, like, a usual thing? It felt pretty strange to me.
0: Yeah, it's hard to know. I can't say how normal it is comparatively, but it did kind of stand out because of the way that, um, you know, this committee is one of the committees that, in particular, limits people who are under 18 we can't they they're allowing it but the rule is you have to have either your guardian your parent with you or a parental slip saying that I'm allowed to testify. Um, So creating this extra hoop and especially considering that this bill will affect people who are under 18, the fact that there was that extra challenge for young Idahoans to be able to testify, that really stood out to me. Um, And a lot, you know, there were medical people in the medical profession, not all endocrinologists, not all people who are experts and particularly in the field of gender-affirming care. Um, there were a lot of mental health counselors who were testifying in favor of this bill. But once again, it was it was hard to suss out like where okay, where are all these people coming from? And then of course, yeah, we did there was actually somebody from the Heritage Foundation that was given testimony. And then, of course, yeah, didn't you feel like the, there was the two minute restriction mm-hmm. and vice chair uh, Heather Scott, a lot of the people who were testifying against the bill, she would stop them mid sentence and say, yeah. oh, you're going off track. And lots then, of
1: interruptions for those yeah. against um, yeah. and telling people to stay on track and talk about the bill when they were very clearly talking about the bill.
0: Right. Or or talking about, you know, from a personal perspective about how they feel about this bill. And, and it, it was kind of tricky to navigate How do you talk about the bill um, when that includes, (laughs) at least for these folks, they felt like my experience matters, so I'm going to talk about my experience and what I think about this bill. That is talking about the bill, but she seemed to really want it to be to the actual language within the bill and seemed to be kind of focused on uh, not having having any rhetoric, right? She kept saying like, oh, we don't want to hear rhetoric, we don't want to hear... And that was that was that was tough. It was hard to suss out like, wait, but is that applying to some other people in this? And no, nope. I will give her credit. There were a couple times when people who were um, came to testify in favor of the bill. She did also redirect them, but it did feel more like the other side, the, the people who were against this uh, were getting corrected and repre- reprimanded more.
1: Well, and I, I saw a couple of the committee members who uh, ended up Voting no. And even actually a couple who voted yes later commented on the Republicans like the hypocrisy of denying parents rights to choose medical care for their children uh, when like just recently earlier that week, they defended Idaho parents who want to withhold life saving medical care from their children because of religious beliefs. What was your take on that? I felt like that was pretty stark personally.
0: Yes, Democratic representative Colin Nash uh, I think really hammered when he voted no he he made it clear you know this is this is hypocritical because we have these faith healing exemptions where we're letting parents decide to withhold life-saving care to children. Um, but here is a life-saving potential care for children and we're saying that no parents you can't decide to do that for your kids going forward. Um, he also shared. He he, he talked about a, a sibling of of his who is trans and how. Uh, receiving gender affirming care probably saved their life, and definitely, you know, was a positive thing in their family and in this person's life, and that stood out to me. There was also one more, one story at uh, you and I both responded to. This one because she was one of the only people who is under 18 who was able to testify. Right, 17-year-old Eve Devitt, I think, was her name. Mm-hmm. Um, her testimony was super powerful, yeah. and even though, again, <laughs> Vice Chair Heather Scott. Uh, interrupted her a couple times to redirect. She was able to finish what she had to say. And then uh, lawmakers were able to ask her questions about receiving gender affirming care, what her experience has been.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that was really interesting. Her testimony was really powerful and really brave to get up in front of a lot of people like that and talk about such a personal thing. Yeah. But I got to say, I feel like I didn't really get a sense that very many of the representatives were especially informed on this topic. There were a few things said that would be funny if the whole thing wasn't so serious like representative eheart at one point when she was defending when she was defending banning adolescent care and talking about you know the binary of sexuality she at one point was like humans have arms like it was just like there were so many strange moments in that uh but like it was also like the people who presented presented very serious stuff about like real studies around suicide when adolescents don't receive gender-affirming care i mean it was there were some really heavy testimony there too
0: there was and you know This is decades of uh, evidence around gender-affirming care. And um, however, you know, I think it's fair to say that it's become more prevalent in recent years that um, children have been able to access this care. And we do know that trans youth are at high risk of suicide. One of the studies um, I'll include that I think is really fascinating around this really digs into once folks do receive this care, how much more likely they are to survive into adulthood. And we we know that Idaho already has one of the highest suicide rates in the country. So this is very serious stuff we're talking about. There was this kind of competing, well, studies say this and then studies say that. And um, the dueling studies uh, on both sides um, that, of course, made it really a lot more complicated. Um, And I haven't read all the studies people were referencing, so I can't say like which ones uh, hold water and which ones don't. But that's part of the murky waters of this conversation and why people are so frustrated by this, um, especially people who are uh, yeah, anti this bill, because there's also real world consequences for the for these youth. There was remember the one Eastern Idaho doctor.
1: Yeah. from Pocatello. Yeah. He was great.
0: Yeah. Dr. Neil Reagan, I think was his name. And he, he mentioned explicitly that he has patients who've told him that if they did not receive uh, hormone treatment or other gender affirming care, that they would have um, they would have killed themselves.
1: Yeah. Something that stuck out to me was after a couple people testified about suicide rates among adolescent um, people seeking gender-affirming care was that uh, a couple times people who were for the bill said, well, if if you look at the studies, trans people kill themselves at higher rates even after they've transitioned, which I kind of thought, like, yeah, I mean, look what's happening in this room. Like, that's how you couldn't make the connect of, like, being trans is difficult pre-transition post-transition it's made more difficult by hearings like this and of course there people come to or hear about stuff like this and then feel more terrible you know and i just felt like there was like such a lack of empathy in that room at, at certain points it was it was pretty tough
0: yeah well and now it's going to go to the full house so we'll continue there'll be a, an even wider debate on this um and this conversation isn't going isn't going away at all that's for sure <laughs>
1: Well, let's move on to Moscow and the latest on the media gag order put into place around the trial of suspect Brian Koberger. Frankie, what's the latest on this?
0: Yes, so a magistrate judge uh, a while ago, I think it was in early January, issued a gag order. This was after uh, Koberger was arrested. Um, that very dramatic, uh, you know, news that came around New Year's after months of uh not really any much information from law enforcement in moscow lots of frustration right and then they they track this guy down in pennsylvania and say this is our guy this is who did it Um, but then quickly thereafter this gag order was issued now you know the part of it is that it's kind of like right to fair trial versus First Amendment free speech, because, um, you know, we have a right to fair trial in this country, and so Brian Koberger is accused of this, but he is not guilty until proven so. He's innocent until proven guilty. Um, And we, of course, don't, we're not going to get to uh, even the pretrial hearing until June. So there's this long stretch of time between now and then. And so the gag order was placed to bar attorneys, you know, any police, law enforcement, whatever, anyone associated with the case from talking about it. And then she, in additionally, added to that gag order also prohibiting any attorneys representing the survivors, victims, family members from talking about the case, any witnesses from talking about or writing about the case. And the statesman reported on how um, this has even had a chilling effect where, like, Even the mayor of Moscow feels like he can't talk to reporters, not about the case specifically, but about how this has affected the community. And so um, now these two or like more than two dozen uh, outlets, a lot of them ones that we cite all the time here on Cas Boise, are asking the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court to weigh in.
1: Yeah, and there's been this tug of war since the beginning of this case between you know, law enforcement not sharing anything. The public feeling really frustrated right. with that, and uh, and you know, media outlets trying to get more information.
0: Yeah, no, it's just a fair comment because we saw what happened. Yeah. When when there was an absence of information for that period of time after the four murders of these U of I students. And then when they actually said, hey, we arrested somebody, there was, you know, oh, we saw what happened with national media on social media is people from all over the world becoming like amateur sleuths and just kind of being gross on the Internet. Um, And so there's a question of like when you're when there's silence, it just brews more suspicion and questions can come up. However, the right to fair trial uh, question, you know, if there's a lot of publicity and continued conversations among victims, families in the press between now and when they have a jury and they're actually going to start this trial, that's the question is like, will, will, more, um, will the gag order protect to have a right to, to have a fair trial so that Whatever the conclusion of that trial can wrap up and there isn't, you know, a hung jury or it's really hard to find a jury, a jury that doesn't know anything about this case that literally is known internationally at this point. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Um, it'll be kind of interesting to see how this all you know, yeah. plays out. We have a long time and we have until June to see what's going to happen. So, well, all right. Before we get into this next story about Boise City Council, uh, just a note that last week when we were talking about former city councilperson Lisa Sanchez I should have mentioned and I completely just forgot this but in 2017 um, I did MC uh fundraiser for Lisa Sanchez which I MC everything all over the state and I have MC'd for all sorts of different groups and parties and uh, things so but we thought we should probably mention it before we like you know talked more about uh the stuff happening with former city councilperson uh Lisa Sanchez. But all that said, you watched uh, the entire city council meeting earlier this week. What happened? What's going on?
0: Oh yeah, I had a fun Tuesday night watching the city council. <laughs> you party? You party? I did. I party. <laughs> I made dinner while watching the city council. I mean, they weren't able to eat while I was watching them, so they had a time. <laughs> I always feel like that in the, when I watch city council meetings. I'm like, oh, they must be starving. It's dinner really, time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there were a couple of uh, things on the agenda that I just thought were interesting, so I wanted to, to check in because. Um, Do you know, Emma, that we are in a housing crisis? (laughs) Oh, you know, I have heard and somewhat experienced that myself. (laughs) Yeah, right, right, exactly. So um, on the agenda, there were a lot of things on the agenda as always, but a couple of things that kind of piqued my interest was The city council was uh, hearing a an appeal to a planning and zoning approval of a redevelopment of the armory in the East End. Um, Do you know Do
1: you know the armory? Oh, uh, of course, I know the army armory. Famous spot in the 90s to break into, have parties. Have quiet little raves if you could. Uh, lots of, I never vandalize anything there. I just want people to know that I'm, I respect a historic building, but I love that building. And I'm so grateful to hear that they're going to be preserving it with this development.
0: Well, right, and that's where it gets kind of tricky. I, I love, by the way, I always love hearing your your '90s stories about Boise <laughs> um, because I, I I actually I'm like, oh, I need to go check out this armory because I've ever never even walked past it. I don't think, but it it's a very um, it, it sounds like it's a, a place in the East End that um, folks who live there really love or you know have feelings toward, um, and it is on the National Register of Historic Places. But it's not a historic landmark, and that's important because you would think that if something's on the National Register, that it like you know that building's preserved forever. But actually, no, um, Mm. that's not true. Boise Dev did a great full story on this, putting uh, putting that meeting into great words, and we'll we'll link to it. But you know, there was, however, a 2012 agreement to protect the building. So. Anyway, at this particular meeting, the East End Association, Neighborhood Association was appealing the decision from planning and zoning, asking city council to look at it closer because they're concerned about development there. And this developer from Utah called Alpha is the name of the company. They um, want to uh, develop apartments, townhomes, a bunch of commercial space on the parking lot adjacent to the armory but the question is but the armory is part of the property and so the question is could the armory ever be demolished like they don't have a plan for that right now but could it be in the future and so that's that's the concern by the end of the meeting basically all the uh, the, the council members minus one um voted to approve the um continue to approve the development so affirmed planning and zoning's decision and so it is moving forward to be developed with the question mark of what exactly will happen to the armory. Another thing that they looked into this week was um, this 201- unit apartment building near St. Al's that will be affordable housing which is nice to hear because I feel like I've
1: seen so much like housing going up where it's like you know luxury yeah. apartments starting at 1800 and you're
0: like totally for a studio yeah, <laughs> for a one for a bedroom. Stu- yeah
1: exactly and so it's nice to hear that somebody's looking at doing some studios for under 500 where like you know people could actually afford to live there that's nice to hear that they're doing some of that instead of the the luxury stuff.
0: I'm guessing there will be lots of people who will want to live in that building and who really need housing over there as well.
1: You know, we were talking earlier about uh, the emergency rental funding, and um, it got me thinking, like, you know, we're talking housing crisis, but that probably has most likely cushioned some of the effects here, right? Like, that's running out, I think, soon. Are we going to see, like, a pretty big downturn and some evictions and...
0: Yeah, that's a good question. KIVI did a story on this, asking that question basically like when the COVID funding runs out, which it will eventually because Congress isn't passing more of it anytime soon. I should say that, that, that technically that funding is still available. So if you are in need of rental assistance, as of right now, there is funding available. We'll link to the org that you can uh, call and reach out to if you need help. Well, we'll keep an eye on
1: it, as always. Um, let's end on something fun. I think this is super cute. Uh, Monopoly is, they, they do this for other cities, but now I guess Boise is finally the, of the size to do it. But they're making we've made a, it. We've <laughs> made it. We are going to get a Boise Monopoly board. And they're asking for submissions for people for Park Place and Boardwalk and for the community chest and um, chance cards. Um, what are your picks for the Boise Boardwalk and Park Place?
0: Ooh, I love this so much. Although, oh gosh, I just have so many fond memories. Everybody's got fond memories of playing Monopoly as a kid. I do not. Oh, you don't. Okay. You're anti-monopolist? Well,
1: (laughs) obviously, but I feel like... Monopoly was always a game in my family that caused a huge fight. Like, oh, sure. whoever was banking was cheating or getting accused yeah. of cheating, and somebody ended up with the property. The pieces always got knocked <laughs> off the board, and somebody left angry. So, we get to have the Boise version of that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so who, what are you going to get angry about? I'm going to get uh, really defensive and go for. Uh, park Place is going to be Camel's Back if oh, I had fun. my way. Yeah. Okay. Cute. And I did look up because I was just curious. I was like, what was Park Place originally modeled after? Because obviously Monopoly is a super old game, um, and apparently it was after a park that doesn't exist anymore in Atlantic City back when oh, that was okay. like a cool place. So um, <laughs> I think Camel's Back is our is our Park Place. Cute and for a boardwalk. Hmm. I mean, Greenbelt? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess so, the green yeah. <laughs> it's our boardwalk. <laughs> um,
1: I'm going to go... That, so I kind of was thinking more downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since I'm over here, I'm like I'm probably like Charleston, you know? Like, if I'm picking yeah. what my neighborhood sure. is, we're <laughs> yep, <yep>. probably over <laughs> in, like, the the, the mobs, you know? Um, <laughs> but I, I think I would pick the Hoff Building for boardwalk oh, as, nice. you know, uh, Boise's first skyscraper, as people may know. Yes. Um, always been a fancy building. And um, for Park Place, I think I'm going to pick right there. I think it's called the Cecil Andrus Park. I don't know that we call oh, it yeah, anything except for the is. park across from the Capitol. But I'm yeah. going to pick that for Park Place. Those are my choices. And they're kind of close together, too. So you can have the the blue squares real nice and tight together. Well, that's great. I can't wait to see the game, and I think it'll be really very cute. Um, Thank you so much for helping me round up the news this week. There was a lot of it.
0: A lot of it, but I think we got through it. We did it. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next week. Okay. Bye, Emma.
1: That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. The show is produced by Frankie Barnhill and Evelyn Avitia. Blake Hunter writes our Hey Boise newsletter. And I'm Emma Arnold. Our music is by Up Is The, Down Is The. If you enjoyed our show today, leave us a review. It helps other people find us. We'll be back Monday with more stories from around the city. Bye. Bye.